Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, the podcast that shows you how to live a longer and healthier life, showcasing doctors, clinicians, and patient stories. The goal of South Coast Health is to help and inspire you to navigate your health journey with knowledge, comfort, and ease. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin, and I'm your host for the series, Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. And today's topic is urogynecology. My guests are Dr. Didi Thiba, who earned her medical degree at Boston University School of Medicine in Boston, Mass. She then completed an internship in general surgery and residency in urology at Boston Medical Center, followed by a fellowship in incontinence, female pelvic medicine, and reconstructive urology at the Bladder Health and Reconstructive Urology Institute in Miramar, Florida. Dr. Thiva has clinical interests in general urology, urinary incontinence, reconstructive urology, female pelvic medicine, and sexual dysfunction. Her goal is to treat urological issues that affect the quality of life and provide robust, evidence-based, personal urologic care to the community of South Coast. Dr. Thiva has a passion for global medicine and recently volunteered with surgeons at Nazareth Hospital in Kenya with hopes to continue additional mission work there in the near future. Welcome, Dr. Didi Thiva. Thank you so much. We also have with us Noreen Obin, who is a patient of Dr. Thiva's. After experiencing several UTIs, urinary tract infections, and a bladder prolapse, she had a hysterectomy and a bladder lift. Welcome, Noreen. Thank you. All right. Let's start with Dr. Thiva. Dr. Thiva, let's clarify urology. What's the difference between a urologist, urogynecology, and pediatric urology? So urology is a field, a surgical field, where it's a branch off of surgery. So it is a specific residency that we complete to become urologists. And we are surgeons of the urinary tract and the organs in the pelvis. You know, a a while ago, people used to assume that most urologists were men treating male conditions, but it is so much more than that. We do everything from stone surgery to kidney cancers, bladder cancers, ureteral cancers, anything that the urine can touch is basically what we operate on. But since then, the field has really evolved to where, you know, this is more of what I do, where we take care of all the organs in the pelvis. So that includes the uterus, the vagina, the rectum, and there are subfields in urology where we take care of different subsets of patients. So for example, you know, there's the field of endourology, which really focuses on complex stones. There's a whole field of robotic surgery where we do reconstructive surgery for drainage of urine you know, cancers of the kidney, the prostate, the bladder. There's a field of pediatric urology where we take care of complex uh, pediatric urologic issues that you may have heard of, like reflux or valves that we see in children. And, you know, pelvic health. So this applies to men and women. Urinary incontinence affects men and women, pelvic organ prolapse, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So urology is quite a vast field. 
So I work with men and women. So with respect to men, a lot of what I see mostly is I could break it up into two conditions. So men have prostates and after a certain age, the prostate can cause a lot of blockage issues to urination. And so a lot of urinary symptoms that men experience, whether it is difficulty with emptying or incontinence can originate from the prostate and it can cause bladder damage. So I take care of a lot of men with a lot of urinary issues, also men who have had prostate cancer. So prostate cancer is the most common cancer that men experience, and men who have been treated for prostate cancer develop another host of urinary issues, post-prostatectomy incontinence or urgency and frequency from radiation treatment, and I manage all of those as well. Right. Now, you specialize, one of the things you work with is the pelvic floor. So explain what that is and what are pelvic floor disorders? So the pelvic floor is a muscle. I mean, all of our organs sit in a bowl of muscles that supports our entire core of our body. These muscles are integrated with the muscles of our paraspinal area and our core, and they work together to keep all of our organs in place. Obviously, our pelvis through time, aging, and different factors undergoes a lot of stress. This can happen to men and women. So men who experience prostate cancer or other cancers of the pelvis um, or have neurologic disorders and women who undergo childbirth, pregnancy, and aging, the pelvic floor takes a toll. And when that happens, the pelvic floor can either become overactive or it can become weak. And that can lead to symptoms of urinary urgency, frequency, leak or it can be weak in the sense that you start to develop prolapse. So organs from your abdomen start to fall through the area of least resistance, which happens to be the vagina, because the pelvic floor muscles cannot support them anymore. Noreen, what led you to Dr. Theva, to urology specialist? What were your concerns? I first went to Dr. Thiva because I had a, a UTI infection that I told my primary care and he didn't even realize I had a prolapse. So when I told him that, he says, oh, I'll get you, you know, a, a referral. And that's how I met her for the first time. And what were your concerns before seeing Dr. Thiva? Well, for, I mean, I had the prolapse for a long time. So I knew there was something, you know, not quite right there. Okay. And what happened in your first visit with Dr. Thiva? Oh, she explained everything and she was very informative to say, you know, I'm too young to have this problem. So let's, you know, let's do it. <laughs> okay. And so Dr. Thiva, what were your recommendations to Noreen after examining her? So when Noreen came to see me, she was referral for a urinary tract infection. Now, urinary tract infections, you know, happen to a lot of the population, and usually it's due to pericoital activity, or, you know, it can happen spontaneously. But in any patient I see for urinary tract infection, I start the workup from zero. So I assess their voiding habits. I assess their something called a post-void residual. It's how much urine is left in the bladder after voiding. 
feeding. After we void or pee, the bladder should be empty. So I found that Noreen was not emptying her bladder. And on further evaluation, she described that she felt a sensation of heaviness in her vagina. So we did a pelvic exam and I notified Noreen that her bladder and her uterus were descending quite a bit. And when that happens, it can trap urine in the bladder and prevent the bladder from effectively emptying. So the source of her urinary tract infection was actually the fact that her bladder was falling and not able to effectively squeeze the urine out. So that's how we got into the conversation of needing to address her anatomy to be able to prevent these infections. Okay. And what was the procedure that you suggested? And explain it and then how it helped. So when we talk about prolapse surgery, the way we approach the surgical method depends on the patient, the patient's goals, and the patient's anatomy. So there's multiple ways to address prolapse. You can do this by lifting up organs through the vagina, or you can do it by lifting up the, the vagina through the abdomen. And that basically depends on how severe the prolapse is, how much the patient can tolerate with respect to surgical procedure, and what the goals are. So Noreen, you, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong with telling your background, but Noreen is very active. Noreen works as a hairdresser and she's on her feet several hours a day. Um, she has clients back to back and she is just busy. And so she told me that the prolapse gets worse at the end of the day when she's been on her feet. She's, you know, lifts heavy things, uh, moves around, is very active. So I wanted to give Noreen a repair that I thought would last her the longest period of time and be able to withstand her level of activity. So I discussed with Noreen performing a hysterectomy and a sacrocolpopexy. Mm -hmm. A sacrocolpopexy is using a mesh material to lift the vagina and bring it up to the level of the sacrum to keep it lifted. In this method, it lifts the bladder, the vagina, and the rectum. And I felt that this would give Noreen the longest lasting effect. Right. Noreen, explain your experience with the surgery. Uh, well, before the surgery, I mean, I was nervous and, and all that, thinking, should I, shouldn't I? So it went great. I woke up feeling wonderful. I, I thought I would be in a lot more pain, but I felt really great. I felt like a new person. Okay. Any residual pain afterwards? No. Just the, I thought, because I thought you'd feel the inside, but I, I just felt the outside stitches, everything. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how good I felt, really. Dr. Thaba, how well did Noreen do after the procedure in terms of recovery and lifestyle? So there's a huge range in how patients uh, respond after surgery, but Noreen actually did really, really well. I actually had to tell Noreen not to jump ahead and do activity too quickly. She felt great by the first week and wanted to get right back to work. We do have some restrictions that we ask patients to maintain after surgery, and that really is no sexual activity, no heavy lifting more than 10 pounds, and no soaking in a pool or a tub for about six weeks. But Noreen felt great within the first week. Wow. And how quickly did you go back to work and what was the difference after the surgery when you were standing on your feet all the time? I went back after five weeks and the difference is I don't have to think about my, my bladder hanging out, basically. I didn't realize before I was constantly, the bladder was like on my mind because it was always there in the way. 
and it, it's gone now. It's like I don't even have to think about it again, which is wonderful. And it doesn't get worse during the week. I mean, it's all it's all great. I, I really wish I did had done it sooner. So your quality of life has really improved. Oh yes, right, very much. How so. has it affected your physical activity? Can you do more physical activity? Do you different types of activity? Um, well, I just started back, but um, it's so much better because I mean, everything I did, you know, even just walking, I was always trying to lift my bladder up before. So now it's it's like I don't have to, and it won't get in the way of whatever I do. Because I just feel kind of, you know, like a regular girl again. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dr. Theda, is this typical in terms of a response after this surgery? I would say so. Yeah, I I do wish every patient responded the way Noreen did. (laughs) Um, Obviously, there's a range. But yes, you know, typically people feel really good after surgery when you've had uh, your bladder or uterus or rectum falling for a long time and you feel that heaviness and pressure. um, the, The results from surgery are immediate. I mean, it is an anatomical lift. So there's no time to improvement. The the improvement in the anatomy is immediate. So patients do feel that immediately. They get up and they're like, wow, there's nothing hanging out from between my legs. I feel like I can move easier. And it's it's great. Right. Is there a certain age where you are performing most of these surgeries? You know, I thought there would be, but the age range has been incredible. So the youngest patient I've done any prolapse repair on has been in the 40s, and my oldest patient is 96. Mm-hmm. So it's you just have to tailor the procedure to the patient. And that's the great part about what I do. There is no, it's not cookie cutter medicine. There are multiple ways to address prolapse and we can tailor it to what the patient can tolerate and what the patient's goals are. Is there anything we can do to prevent prolapse or is this just something that's anatomical within each person? There are a lot of factors that affect prolapse and genetics and number of children that you have are probably the two biggest. Obesity is another. But things that I tell my patients after I meet them, especially patients who have had prolapse repair and preventing recurrence, is to keep their pelvic muscles strong by engaging in activity and to protect their pelvic floor from constipation. A lot of women have children, but not a lot of women develop prolapse. I think one of the biggest things I'm seeing now in practice as a daily stressor to the pelvic floor is constipation and straining to to have bowel movements. And I think that daily insult to the pelvis is really causing a worsening of pelvic floor disorders. So I tell a lot of my patients to do whatever they need to do to keep their bowel movements regular, eat lots of fiber, hydrate, and use stool softeners if needed. How much does stress affect this? Can stress create some of these pelvic issues? Absolutely. I think stress is actually the root cause. So I explained to patients, you know, patients always ask me, how did this happen? How did my pelvic floor become so dysfunctional? How did it become so tight? And I try to explain it just like TMJ, which is, you know, tightness of the jaw. So 
you know, patients often see a dentist because they're having neck pain, jaw pain, tooth pain, and it's because they're grinding their teeth at night from high levels of stress and then often need a mouth guard. Well, the same thing happens to the pelvis. When you're under a lot of stress, you subconsciously tighten all the muscles in your body. You get shoulder tension, back tension, neck tension. It happens in the pelvis too, delaying your void. So saying, oh, I need to pee, but I need to do one more thing. I need to, you know, run one more errand or I need to just cook one more thing or, you know, do something real quick and you just keep delaying the things that your body's telling you that it needs. Stress and, you know, you know, delaying these things can affect the pelvic floor significantly and are often the root cause of a lot of these issues. So do you suggest that people do deep breathing exercises, take breaks, uh, do more walking in nature, get a, a stronger support system? I mean, all of the above, absolutely. I think the way people manage stress is very different from one another. It's a very personalized experience, but I I recommend any one of those things. There's also pelvic relaxation, yoga, stretching, and these things can really help loosen some of the muscles. You know, behavioral therapy can help, whatever it may take to kind of manage day-to-day stress. Let's talk about some treatments and physical therapy for pelvic floor disorders. And for example, Kegel exercises, do they really work? So that's that's a great question. And I have a lot of patients who come to me and say, you know, I've been doing my Kegels. And Kegels are really interesting because the way they were taught, you know, years ago was just kind of to squeeze or tighten the pelvis and then relax and do it 10 times a day, multiple times a day. And there was no real instruction on how to do them and what conditions to do them and who should be doing them. And what I found, especially in practice, is that a lot of conditions in the pelvic floor are from a hypertonic pelvic floor or an overactive pelvic floor, a high tone pelvic floor. And Kegels in that situation would actually be hurtful. You don't want to tighten your pelvic floor if it's too tight. Now, when your pelvic floor is too tight, what can happen from that? Well, your pelvic floor needs to relax for you to urinate, to have a bowel movement, to be sexually active. And, you know, it, it has to have moments where it can relax. If your pelvic floor can't relax, then all of those activities become either painful or very difficult. And so that's quite a bit of what I see too. And so that's where pelvic floor therapy really becomes helpful because these therapists will assess your pelvic floor muscles and do something called an EMG. And that this is this EMG biofeedback is a new um, is a newer aspect of pelvic floor rehab, which has come into play where you can actually see the activity of your pelvic floor and they can teach you how to bring down the tone so that you can relax better and have more coordinated contractions to tighten when you need to so that you don't leak with sneezing, coughing, laughing, but also relax appropriately so that sexual activity isn't painful. You can urinate easily and you can sit and have a bowel movement without straining. How does technology fit into all of this? In 2023, is technology at the forefront Have there been some breakthroughs pertaining to pelvic floor health? 
Absolutely. And this can go from, uh, you know, using the robot to advances in medicine on tissue grafts. So prolapse surgery has gone through major shifts. So the procedure that Noreen had done many years ago before the robot was in play, um, this used to be done open. So patients would have a large incision, you know, over their entire abdomen to do this sort of lift. And the recovery was horrible. Patients were in the hospital for a long time. The pain was pretty significant. The Da Vinci robot, which is used for a lot of different procedures, is now how I do the sacrocopalpexy. And patients are doing incredibly well. I mean, Noreen walked out of the hospital the first day after surgery, and that was unheard of before. So the robot has really changed the game for prolapse surgery. Also in 2009, the FDA removed the use of mesh through the vagina, and that's primarily how a lot of prolapse repairs were done in the past. So now the use of engineered tissue or grafts that are dissolvable have also improved prolapse repairs and reduced the risk of recurrence now that mesh is not available to use through the vagina. Yeah. Can you describe the robotic surgery? Is it a hand? What does it look like? How does it work with you? So the advantage that the robot gives us on top of laparoscopic surgery, so laparoscopic surgery is what people most understand, and that is using ports to gain access to the abdomen without making a large incision. What the robot does is it gives us full 360 motion of our wrist by docking, almost looks like a large spider, with arms that go through the ports, and the surgeon sits at a console or a desk that's separate from the robot and can control it, as if we have tiny versions of our hands inside the pelvis doing the operation, but we don't need to make a large incision to do it. So that's really improved the quality of of the surgery. It has. We can, you know, obviously th- see things closer up. So bleeding has been reduced for multiple different procedures. It also improves recovery. You're making small five millimeter incisions as opposed to a big incision over the abdomen. The the pain aspect of recovery mm-hmm. is is drastic. Wow. Does it speed up the procedure? Is there less time involved? There is time involved with docking the robot. So I think some of the time is shifted and and it depends. Time plays a factor into also the degree of prolapse, how much work has to be done. So time can be quite variable, but I would say it's pretty comparable. What other kinds of conditions do you see and what conditions or problems can be addressed with reconstructive urology? So, you know, in terms of pelvic floor medicine, I see all sorts of conditions such as pelvic organ prolapse, urinary incontinence, urinary urgency, frequency, nocturia, which is waking up at night to urinate. And then that expands out to, you know, other conditions, kidney stones, cancers. Reconstructive urology is such a broad field. I mean, I use it mostly for reconstructive urology in men and women, but we also use it for poor drainage of the kidney. If the kidney is not draining because there's a kink in the ureter, then we reconstruct that area. If there's a cancer at the end of the ureter where it enters the bladder, we can remove that end and reconstruct the ureter so that it inserts into a different part of the bladder. So we use reconstructive urology in in many different ways. For most of his life, Dan from Situate, Massachusetts has struggled with obesity. Eight or ten years old, I started 
getting, you know, chubby. By the time I graduated high school, I think I was between 275 and 300. Went on a roller coaster and we're ready to go. And they, the guy comes walking up to me. My thighs were so big, he couldn't get the, the latch to, to latch. And I had to get off the ride. Okay, like enough is enough. So Dan contacted the South Coast Health Weight Loss Center. The program as a whole is what was the, the key to me picking them over Boston. And I was a 46 going into 48, and now I'm a 30-inch waist. South Coast Health Weight Loss Center has helped transform more than 6,500 lives. To learn more about how they can help you, too, call 844-744-5544 or go to southcoast.org. I'm living proof to show if you put the work in on anything that you can get what you want. South Coast Health gave me the tools, and here I am, you know, with my health forever. Take impossible, throw it out of your vocabulary. South Coast Health, more than medicine. So, Dr. Thiva, from what you're describing, there have been so many breakthroughs, medical breakthroughs that have made this specialty easier and more effective for the doctor and, of course, for the patient. What do you see coming in the future of urogynecology? Yeah, so, you know, right now, <laughs> there are a lot of other therapies out there, like certain chairs that help with stress incontinence. You know, the evidence on them is not very strong. There's also different things that can help with dryness or atrophic vaginitis, like the Mona Lisa laser. And this has been great, especially for patients who cannot tolerate estrogen in the vagina. Unfortunately, it is quite expensive and not covered by insurance. And to explain the Mona Lisa laser, it's it's a, a CO2 laser that is put into the vagina to basically resurface the vagina to allow for a healthier vaginal tissue to cover. forth. So I think with respect to incontinence and pelvic floor issues, I'm hoping that there can be more therapies that are even easier to access for patients. Now, you know, instead of doing, I do a lot of interstims and Botox treatments for patients with incontinence in the bladder. And now there are more therapies coming out that are less invasive and hopefully can be done in the office. So I think there's going to be a big shift of doing a lot of therapies in the office. But for pelvic organ prolapse, I think, you know, what we have offered right now is it's going to stay this way for a while. Noreen, what are your closing thoughts today? What would you like our listeners to gain from this interview? Um, that if they have a prolapse, like don't be afraid to get it taken care of, you know, because it really is improving the quality of life. And a lot of women don't know about it. They, they don't understand what it, they even have because I work with a lot of women and some of them don't know about it, you know. Thank you. So I'm informing them a little bit. <laughs> Great. Great. You can be a teacher for them to, yes, to lead them to it, to lead them to get the right resources. Yes. And Dr. Thiva, your closing thoughts. Yeah, it's just, you know, I think women have a lot of burdens no matter what situation they're in and often don't put themselves first. I think if I've learned anything from being in practice, it's that the most common thing I hear after I help somebody is they say, I wish I had done this sooner. Why didn't I get this done sooner? And I, I think it's because, you know, women have to remember to take care of themselves first before they can take care of others. And that means taking care of all aspects of your health. And 
you know, your primary cares are great resources. If you don't know who to turn to, they can help refer you. And it may be for any field, whether it's your heart health or your joint health or your pelvic health. There are providers like us out there who can help. And uh, we're here for you. And, you know, make an appointment to be seen if that's what you need. Thank you so much, Dr. Didi Thiba, and also thank you to our patient, Noreen Oben. That wraps up this episode of Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. I'm your host, Patricia Raskin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. To subscribe to this podcast, visit www.southcoast.org forward slash healthy dash aging. While you are there, we want to hear from you. Please take the time to complete a quick survey so we can learn more about the topics for upcoming episodes that you are most interested in to live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you to our hosts, Patricia Raskin and South Coast Health. This podcast is brought to you by creative content developer Raskin Resources Productions and produced by Virtually You.